And I feel like um, just in terms of my own life and what God has for us as a church, that really he, He's calling us to a greater intimacy and seeing that worked out in our lives in a, a worshipful way uh, that lives out a life of holiness. And I really feel like as we come back in the new year, uh, I know it's not January, but the new school year, uh, as we start, that God is calling all of us to a greater level of intimacy with Him. And I was also just uh, reflecting on Matthew 5, which you know very well. Matthew 5, verse 8. It's a beautiful sermon that Jesus gives on the mount. And one of the things it says simply is, Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. It's a wonderful promise, isn't it? That as we give our hearts to the Lord and He, speak, he changes us from the inside, we begin to see Him in a whole fresh way. But then there's also, also this amazing promise in Exodus 3, just going back to, to Moses' story, uh, where there's this promise, and God says to Moses, I have seen the affliction of my people who are in Egypt, and I've heard their cry because of their taskmasters, and I know their suffering, and I've come down to deliver them out of the hand of the Egyptians and bring them up out of that land to a good and a broad land, a land flowing with milk and honey. And this is the one, one of the great promises of, of salvation is that actually the great promise of salvation is that God takes us out of slavery, slavery in our own lives to sin and a whole lot of other things, and He leads us into a place in our lives that is a wide open space. It's a promised land. It's full of the blessings and the grace of God. And so I'd like to, as we close this year off, I'd like to just spend a moment with you thinking about what we are set free from and what we are set free to as Christians and how they can help us to set some goals for our lives. And so I really do want to speak about a little phrase that Moses uh, is challenged with, with the Lord when the Lord reveals himself, and he just says to him, what is in your hand? And if you know the story, his staff is in his hand, and God speaks to him directly out of that. What is in your hand? So I want to ask as we start this morning, as you think about your own life, uh, what is in your hand? And we're going to think about that question this morning and how that can help us to live in biblical freedom as well and take us into the plan that God has for us. Well, I, let me just define what I mean by freedom. And I, I, I think the Bible does two things. It, 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 set, it tells us clearly what we are set free from, and then it also helps us to understand what we are set free to. We are set free for a reason. It's not just that God sets us free for our, from our sin and our guilt and all those things, and that's the end of it. He sets us free from those things because He's setting us free to other things, to enjoy a whole lot of other things in our lives. And the Bible says there's no one, not one of us, that is without sin. And um, you, you know that as a, if you know Christ this morning. There's no one that's without sin. Uh, the, the Bible says those that think they are without sin, fool, they, are, they fool only themselves because there's no one under the heavens or the earth that is without sin. And Mark Twain said it like this. I, I like uh, his writing. And he said, man is the only animal that blushes or needs to. Uh, what, what is he trying to say? He's saying, well, humans are, really understand about guilt, that there's something that is not right on the inside that needs to be put right. And uh, really, if we're talking about freedom, the first thing that we have to talk about is that God has set us free from guilt, because no one who's, who lives under guilt is really free. If you are still laboring under guilt, there's, there's a sense that you are not free. And you can only know freedom from guilt if you know that you are forgiven. And this is one of the great joys of the Christian faith, isn't it? 
that we know we are forgiven. In Christ, we are set free completely. And I couldn't look you in the face. I couldn't sit here this morning and look you in the face, uh, let alone look God in the face, if I didn't know that I was forgiven, that God has set me free, that there are things in my life that are no longer seen by Him because they come under the blood of the cross. And that's an amazing privilege that um, we have as believers. If it wasn't like that, then all of us would effectively respond in the same way that Adam and Eve did in the garden, where they ran from God and hid from Him because they knew that they had sinned and there was something in the, in the way of their relationship with God. But there's this beautiful promise in Psalm 130, there is forgiveness with God. And if you know Jesus this morning, you know that to be true with your, for your own life. He's taken all of your guilt, all of your shame, all of your sin upon the cross, and He's dealt with it. So freedom, biblically, freedom begins with forgiveness, knowing that we are forgiven, and therefore the guilt is dealt with, and we can start to live in a whole new way. That's the first thing. We set free from guilt. The second thing I want to say is that we are set free from ourselves. We are set free from ourselves. And I'd like to unpack that a little bit. Um, Jesus was once talking to some Jewish believers. He was talking to some Pharisees in John 8. And he said this to them. He said, if you hold to my teaching, you will be my disciples, and you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. You know that scripture well. The truth will set you free. And it's interesting, the Pharisees were really angry. They were indignant. They came back at Jesus with this, and they said, Jesus, we are children of Abraham. We've never, we've never been slaves to anyone. God set us free from Egypt. So what do you mean? We, we need to be set free. And so Jesus responds, and he says, I tell you the truth. Everyone who sins is a slave to sin. And so if the first slavery that we are set free from is, is guilt, the second slavery that we need to be set free from is sin. And people always, uh, I find, especially in our culture, people misunderstand this word sin in so many ways. And they'll often, often you'll find people responding and say, I've said this before, but you know, I'm a good person. Uh, I'm, I'm really basically good and trying to do the right thing. What do you mean I'm a sinner? I'm not a murderer. Uh, I've never committed any sin like that. I'm a good person. I'm doing my best. You heard that kind of language? Well, the Bible, the Bible has a very interesting th thing to say about sin. Uh, it, it's really saying that sin is missing the mark of who God is, and it teaches us a very interesting thing. It teaches us the Bible teaching about sin is that actually sin is basically self-centeredness. It's centering on yourself and your own life and your own needs and forgetting about who God is and, who, and what He requires of you. It's essentially living for yourself. It's missing the mark. And the two greatest commandments in the New, in the New Testament Jesus said, I'd simply to love God with all of your heart. And then what did he say? Love your neighbor as yourself. And so often in our culture, we, we get it in the reverse way, don't we? We put ourselves first, and we proclaim our independence, our autonomy from God and from everybody else. We don't need anyone. I've been, we've been watching, um, as we're getting into the, the holiday mood, we've been watching a number of movies on Netflix. And uh, uh, it's interesting to me, one of the great themes you see in movies these days is, do what's right for you. Just please yourself. As long as it's good for you, it'll be good for everybody else. This is exactly the opposite of what the Bible says, how we should live. 
You see, our culture puts ourselves at the very forefront in the center and says, this must be good for you first. And so it proclaims its independence. And then we put our neighbors second when it suits us. <laughs> we put our neighbors second. We don't really like to think about refugees too much or, or you know, what's happening with the fires right now. We just kind of put that in the back of our minds. This doesn't affect us too much. And then really on the periphery of our lives, way out there, way out there, and he only, he, he only kind of, we only can't call on him when we really need him, is God. So it's ourselves firmly in the center with our lives and our needs and everything. And then our neighbors kind of a little bit out there when we want to think about it and it doesn't disturb us too much. And then really on the periphery, way out there, is God. And yet the Bible says it should be exactly the opposite. Love God with all of your heart, all your soul, all your strength, and then love your neighbor as yourself. And finally, Jesus says, if you do all these things, if you seek the kingdom like this, you will find everything that you need for your life anyway as a byproduct of what I do in your life. It's a very radical way, different way of living. And you might say I'm being a little bit um, strong. Well, I don't think so. <laughs> I think if you just look at uh, social media, uh, what's the biggest thing that people use at the moment? Instagram. What is Instagram all about? Instagram's all about showing yourself in the best possible light and photoshopping yourself so that you look good, so everyone can see how cool you are. It's all about you. It's all about self, isn't it? And uh, if you look, think of our language right now, there's so many words. You know, there's over 50 words, I think I've said this before, that start with self in the dictionary, self-gratification, self-assertion, self-pity, self-absorption, self, 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 self. All about me. There was a Christian writer, a guy called Malcolm Muggeridge, who wrote... Uh, probably 50 years ago, and he used to speak of this. He said, there's a dark little dungeon of my own ego. And what, what was he trying to say? He was trying to say it's a dark place. It really is a dungeon. It's a place of being in prison. If all we can think about is ourselves, our own needs, our future, our ambitions, my ministry, without any concern for other people or for God's glory. And the good news about the kingdom, the good news about the gospel, is that it sets us free from that prison. Philippians 3.10 says it's possible for us to live with the evidence of the power of the resurrection on the inside of us. That's what the great promises of Philippians. In other words, Jesus begins to live on the inside of you, and he begins to change your personality and turn you inside out and turn you upside down, that you are not the same person as what you were. You know, I say this respectfully, but I'm so tired of people that say they are the way they are because of their personality or their nationality. You know, I can't control my temper because I'm Italian. What? I can't control myself because, you know, that's just how we are. That's how I grew up. And what I, what I want to say, does that mean that the blood of Christ washes you from all sin except that part of yourself that is your, nation, your, your nationality or the way that you were brought up? No, we die to all of those things. We die to all of those things in Christ. And he, there's a new person that lives on the inside of us. 
Isn't that true? It is. And so there's, for all of us, whatever our culture, whatever our background, whatever, however we were brought up, there are things that need to die because all things come under the power of the cross that transforms everything. The blood of Jesus transforms everything. Now, there are good things that we must take forward in terms of our culture. It's great to um, be sociable like Italians and have a sense of family like Italians or Greeks or whatever. But you hear what I am saying? There are some things that need to die because they're all about ourselves. And Jesus says, die to yourself and come and follow me. And so that's what Philippians says. It's possible that we can be set free from ourselves, the negative part of who we are, and we begin to live for Christ in a whole different way with the power of the Holy Spirit on the inside of us. So we're set free from guilt, second, first. Secondly, we're set free from ourselves. And thirdly, we are set free from fear. Remember, I'm talking about what we're set free from in order to understand what we're set free to as we start thinking about our lives and how we want to go forward. And, you know, today, it's amazing to me, we live in such a, 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 a culture that is technically advanced in all sorts of different ways, but I'm amazed how, how much fear still drives everything that we do. I was just, um, uh, we were watching telly last night, and there's this advert for Dettol. It just irritates me so much. It's got these pictures of your kitchen. And this woman is walking around with a piece of chicken, wiping down the surfaces. Have you seen that advert? It is so stupid. It's like driving fear into people's hearts. If you don't use Dettol, which actually kills 99.9% .9 of all bacteria, it's like you're walking around your kitchen wiping a piece of chicken everywhere. I mean, it's so stupid. Why do we buy into that nonsense? Ladies, if you like Helen, she's wiping everything down all the time with chicken. And I'm not saying I'm advocating dirt. I'm not saying that at all. I like a clean and a tidy house. But we can let fear drive us, don't we? That all, all the time we're just fearful about stuff. And all the adverts, you know, I, I, they must know my age now because when I switch on the telly, there's lots of, lots of, lots of adverts for over 50s now suddenly. I don't know what it is. Or maybe I'm just noticing it. And have you got a funeral plan in place? Do you want your family to suffer? When you die, leave them a gift. The gift of a funeral, uh, uh, debt-free funeral. And it will only cost you £2.50 a week. Have you seen these adverts? It's all fear-driven. Come on. And Jesus wants to set us free from fear. Don't worry about, uh, last week, remember, we talked about finances. Do not be anxious about the future. Am I saying live irresponsibly? I'm not saying that at all. I'm, I'm saying live responsibly, make plans, all that stuff. All that stuff is good. But don't live fearfully. Don't live with anxiety. That's what the Bible says. Why? Because you've been set free on the inside. Your future is secure. Jesus loves you. God loves you. He's your Father. Live free from fear. You don't have to worry what you're going to eat or drink, where you're going to live, what job you're going to have. Your Father in heaven, who is good to you, knows the best for you, and he, he will bless you with that. Come on, it's good news. Jesus sets us free from fear. And so the problem with fear is that it paralyzes you, doesn't it? And so I put it to you that if, you st if there are areas of our lives that are controlled by fear, we are still not fear. We are still not free. 
And fear is like a fungus, isn't it? It only grows well in the dark. It's like in that cupboard where you haven't cleaned for whatever, and you open it and it's only full of moss and stuff. And so what we need to do is bring that out into the open where the light of the Lord Jesus can shine upon it and it dies. Fear only functions well where it's hidden, where it's in the darkness. Uh, Ephesians 1.22 tells us that he's died and he's risen and he's been exalted to the right hand of the Father and everything has been put under his feet. Isn't that a wonderful promise? Everything is put under his feet. He has victory over all. We don't have to be anxious. So there are three things. They're not the only things, but just three things I've been thinking about that Jesus sets us free from. Guilt from ourselves, the tyranny of ourselves, living for ourselves, and sin that is expressed in fear. Jesus sets us free from those things. Well, what does he set us free to then? If he sets us free from those things, what does he set us free to? Well, I want to say it in short very succinctly that true freedom really is about being yourself as God made you to be. I'm not talking about an individualistic freedom. I'm talking about God sets us free to be truly be the people that he wanted us to be and he created us to be. And so um, I don't know if you ever thought about this, but God, have you ever thought about God as the only being who enjoys perfect freedom? Have you ever thought about that? God is the only being who is truly, absolutely free. Why do I say that? Because He's absolutely free all of the time to be consistent to who He is. The Bible doesn't say that God can do absolutely everything or anything. Why do I say that? Well, the Scripture says in, this, in Hebrews chapter 6 that God cannot lie. He cannot be tempted. He cannot tolerate evil. So in other words, he's not absolutely free to do anything. He is absolutely free, and his freedom is expressed in the, that he's entirely always himself. There's nothing moody about God. There's nothing arbitrary about God. There's nothing fickle about God. He doesn't change from day to day. He is constantly steadfast. He is constantly unchanging. In fact, the Scripture says again in 2 Timothy 2, that the only thing that God cannot do is contradict himself. <laughs> he's constant. He's the same. He's always consistent. And so what is true for God, if we are cre created in his image, is it we should be true for ourselves as well. Um, but unfortunately, our freedom is limited a little bit about, by how we are made, our nature. And I, I'd like to use a very simple illustration. I take an example of a fish. When is a fish most a fish? When it's in the water. Its environment that it's created to live in is water. And a fish, if you take it out of water, that's why we have the expression, you, you like a fish out of water, meaning actually when you take a fish out of the water, it ceases to function properly. It's no longer alive and can't be what it was created to be. And so I put it to you this morning that the, the environment that we become most human in, that we truly reflect the people that God created us to be, is love. God is love. We are created in His image. When we start to love like God loves, we start to become perfectly human in the way that God intended us to be human. All right? Very simple illustration. And so I put it to you, to be fully human is impossible without learning to love. 
Loving is living. If you want to live, got to learn to love. Why? Because God is love, and we need to become like God. And so as we become more and more like God by the power of the Spirit, we learn to love more and more deeply. We learn to love more and more with an open heart. Our friends, our family, everybody, we learn to love with an open heart. And as we learn to love, we become more and more human as we become more and more like God. Are you with me? And so that brings us to an incredible paradox in the Christian life. And this is the paradox. If you truly love something, it puts a constraint on you, doesn't it? You can't, you can't just do what you want to do when you love someone. <laughs> Husbands, you know that. Wives, you know that. Parents, you know that. If you truly love someone, it constrains you in certain ways because you have their best, best interests at heart. And so true freedom, for, for, in terms of what the Bible says, is, is giving yourself away. It's constraining what you need and what you desire for the sake of other people. And the Bible says when we learn, like, learn to live like that, we become truly free. We become God, like God when we, when we live like that. In other words, God made me for loving other people. Loving other people means I need to give something of myself away. And in order to do that, I cannot serve myself alone. I have to learn to serve others. That's the great paradox of the Christian life. I deny my self-centeredness. I deny my sense of always wanting the best for me so that I can start to live for others. And as I do that, I start to become like God and I start to love like God loves. So I put it to you that true biblical freedom is exactly the opposite of what our culture says is freedom. Our culture says if you live for yourself, if you satisfy yourself and your needs, you're going to be happy and you're going to be free. You're going to be free. And the Bible says exactly the opposite. It says don't live just for yourself. Live for others. And as you start to live for other people, there's a, something happens on the inside and you experience a freedom that you've never enjoyed before. And you're truly free. And that's what Jesus says in Mark chapter 8, verse 35. You know it well. Whoever wants to save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake and the gospel will save it. It's the paradox that I've been trying to talk about. I could paraphrase it like this. If you insist on holding on to yourself and living for yourself and refuse to let yourself go, you will lose yourself. But if you are willing to give yourself away in love, in the moment of abandoning yourself, when you imagine everything is lost, a miracle takes place, and you find yourself, and you find your freedom. That's the way of the Scripture. That's what the Bible says. And so, that's why Jesus says in Matthew 11, He says, Come unto me, all you are weary, and all of you who are burdened, and I will give you rest. And so he does. As we come to him, he gives us rest from guilt, gives us rest, sets us free from fear, from that tyranny. And as we submit to him in our lives, he brings a whole new joy as we start to live for others. And that kind of yoke is easy. That burden is light. And so I want to finish with landing on the same place that I, I started then. Remember I asked the question, as Moses had that staff in his hand, what is in your hand? As you close off this year and go on holiday and spend some time reflecting on the year, I hope, and refreshing yourself, I hope, 
and thinking about some goals that you want to set for the new year, I want to ask you to contemplate that question. I'm going to contemplate that question with Murray and Eleanor on the beach. <laughs> what is in your hand? When I think about the next year, I'm going to ask myself that question. What is in my hand? What is in my hand? What is in your hand? You see, when I think about Moses, that symbolized three simple things. It symbolized, first of all, his identity. It was a shepherd's staff. He had grown up as a, as a raised in the royal family, in the, in the Egyptian royal family. But for 40 years when he was in the desert, he was a shepherd. He had a staff. It was who he was. It was his identity. So I ask you, will you give yourself away this year? Who you are? Will you give yourself away to love other people? I can't force you to do that. But I can promise you this, as we all learn to live like that, we will discover incredible freedom and joy. We will discover God's plan in an amazing way as we take who we are and we start to live for others. Moses, his staff, who he was, he had to surrender that and say, God, I will do whatever you want. I'll lay that down. Remember the story? He throws it down. And God gives it back, but he throws it down. Secondly, that it, it's, it symbolized not only his identity, but it symbolized his, his, um, his gifts and the way that he made his living. His wealth was measured by his flocks, how many sheep he had. I love the story. I don't know if you know. It's, it's, it's quite an old story now. But uh, Rick Warren, who wrote a book called The Purpose Driven Church, and the Purpose Driven Life, you know Rick Warren, he's an American pastor. He um, leads a large church called Saddleback. I think it's got about 40,000 people or whatever. But um, the Purpose Driven Life, that book that he wrote in around 2000, it was in the top selling um, books in the, in the U.S. for three years straight, that book. And it's still, according to my knowledge, it's still one of the best selling hardcover books in all time. Uh, in the States. So it sold millions and millions and millions of, of uh, copies and generated millions and millions of dollars. And I love this story. He had been working for Saddleback for 30 years. And so the money that he made from the book, he repaid the church that had employed him 30 years wages. I think that's really cool. That is amazing. So he recognized that the church had supplied for him, and when God blessed him in a, the most abundant way for, through this book, he gave back everything that the church had sowed into his life. Man, that's incredibly good news. That's a man who's learned to not love material things. Give it back. Sow it back. Symbolizing something that was what, what, what was, was in his hand. God had blessed him with that, and so he chose to sow, sow it back into the kingdom. And as far as I know, this is still true of him, he gives 90% of his income away, and he lives on 10%. Now, obviously, you have to have a certain amount to do that. I understand that. But doesn't that speak of generosity? Not being captive to money. Well, identity how we generate wealth. Thirdly, his influence. That staff symbolized his influence. And so I want to land on this. How can you best use your influence for God's kingdom 
in this new year. Whatever your identity, whatever your gift, whatever the, what God has given you in your hand to provide and, and to do your job, how, how can you take that as well and use it for the kingdom and your influence that you have? I love this of Solomon. Uh, I don't know if you know Psalm 72. It says this. This is what Solomon prays for himself. He says, Give the king your justice, O God, and the righteousness to your royal son. May he judge your people with righteousness and the poor with justice. Let the mountains bear prosperity for the people and the hills in righteousness. And may he defend the cause of the poor of the people and give deliverance to the children of the needy and crush the oppressor. He's talking about himself. He's praying for himself. He says, this is what I want to do, Lord. I want to live righteously. I want to be prosperous, but I want to defend the cause of the poor and, the, and justice for the people and deliver those that are in need and crush those that oppress others. There's something of um, God's heart in that, is that, uh, that Solomon prays for himself. And I want to ask you, in terms of your own life, how can we learn to live for others in the way that sets the oppressed free and brings justice for, for others and uh, helps with the poor? There are so many ways that our, our, our world is trying to reach out at the moment into different areas all over the world. How can we live a little bit more like that, a little bit more outward-focused? It's not just about ourselves and our families and our church community but it's about God and His kingdom and living for His glory. So I want to ask you to boldly think about that question for your own life. What is in your hand? What has God given you? Have a great holiday, but think about it. So when you come back, you've got a plan. You've heard God speak to you about how you can use your influence, how you can use your life, who you are, what He's blessed you with, the way, the gifts that He's given you. You can learn in the new year to use those in a, a different way for 2018, 2019, that we can live for the kingdom and see the kingdom on heaven, of heaven on earth. Amen? Let's pray. Father, I want to thank you for this amazing church. Thank you for our friendships. Thank you for uh, every person you've added over the years to this church. And I want to thank you, Lord, for those that are not here this morning, and those already on leave and enjoying a refreshing time. I pray, Lord, that as we go away, uh, you would speak to us, help us to align our hearts. Thank you for everything that you've set us free from. Thank you that we don't have to labor under con condemnation or guilt or fear. We don't have to live selfish lives because we have a good Father in heaven that has blessed us with everything that we need. That, that, that helps us to live for others. Lord Jesus, teach us these lessons. I pray, Holy Spirit, that as we go and leave and uh, we think about the new year, the new school year, that you'd help us to contemplate on how we can use our lives and our identities, the gifts that you've given us, uh, to be a blessing to others. And Lord, that's going to be different for every one of us. We are all different. You've gifted us all differently. But Lord, we want to live for others, not just for ourselves, and help us as we seek you. Uh, Lord, Lord, reveal your plan to us that we might do that effectively and do that well. And Lord, your promise is that your kingdom will come on earth as it is in heaven. And Lord, thank you as we start living and loving like you, we start to see something of your kingdom here on earth.
as it is in heaven. So I simply pray, Lord, for your, your refreshing power upon us over this holiday season. We pray for safety for every single one of us in this church, that we might come back refreshed and recreated and ready to put our hands to what you want us to do in the new year. And everyone says, Amen. God bless you guys. I really do hope that you will have a wonderful holiday. Uh, please stay for some coffee. We'd love to serve you some coffee. If you need prayer, we have a prayer team here at the front who are here available to pray every single Sunday. Whatever you need, to, if you need prayer for healing or you need to, someone just to stand with you, something tough that you're going through, we'd love to pray with you, all right? So please come forward. Otherwise, God bless you. Make His face to shine upon you and give you peace. Thank you for being here this morning.